Welcome to Cherry Beckert's GovCon podcast, where we discuss current government contracting trends, compliance matters, and best practices to guide federal contractors forward. I'm Susan Moser. I'm a partner with Cherry Beckert and leader of the government contracts industry practice. And today with me is my colleague, Eric Poppy, who's a senior manager in Cherry Beckert's government contracts services group. Today, we're going to be continuing our series on the 8A program. Uh, This is our fifth podcast in our 8A series. Our last podcast, we discussed 8A sole source contracting. So today, we thought we'd focus on winning 8A competitive contracts. So I'm going to ask Eric to give us an overview of what this Small Business Act authorizes. Thanks, Susan. I'm glad to be able to record this podcast with you today. So Section 8 of the Small Business Act authorizes agencies to award contracts for goods or services or to perform construction work. Um, So this is the avenue for SBA for subcontracting to 8A firms. The Act also authorizes SBA to delegate the function of executing contracts to those procuring agencies and often does so. So for us to get into competitive contracts, we also have to talk about set-asides. Um, And a set-aside award is a contract in which certain contractors may compete, whereas a sole source award is a contract awarded or proposed for award without competition. Um, So the Competition and Contracting Act generally requires federal agencies to uh, allow full and open competition through the use of competitive procedures when procuring goods or services. However, set-aside and sole source awards to 8A firms are permissible under the Competition and Contracting Act under certain circumstances. In fact, an 8A set-aside is recognized as a uh, competitive procedure. Um, agencies are effectively encouraged to contract through the 8A program because there are government and agency-specific goals regarding the percentage of procurement dollars that is awarded to small disadvantaged businesses, which 8As are included in. You know, in fact, the just as a, you know, informational note, the government-wide goal is 5% of all small business eligible contracts. So the goal is 5% should be contracted out. In addition, the SBA is barred from awarding any 8A contract either as a set-aside or sole source if the price of the contract results in a cost to the contracting agency which exceeds a fair market value or fair price. So saying that, once the SBA has accepted a contract for the 8A program, The contract is awarded uh, either through a set-aside or a sole source, uh, either as a set-aside or on a sole source basis. When the contract amount generally determines the acquisition, whereas the, you know, to to back up a second, one thing to note is that when the contract's anticipated total value, including any options, is less than 4.5 million, the contract is normally awarded without competition, so it would be a sole source. In contrast, when the contract's anticipated value exceeds that threshold, the contract generally must be awarded via a set-aside with competition limited to those 8A firms, so long as there's a reasonable expectation that at least two eligible and responsible 8A firms will submit offers. And that is done at a, and the, the offer will be at a fair market price. So I just gave a lot of information pretty quickly about um, you know, set-asides versus what we had talked about previously on another podcast from Sole Source. Um, talked a little bit about the $4.5 million threshold 
and which one brings competition. Susan, do you want to talk a little bit about you know, identifying that award and things to consider when there might be a opportunity to pursue? Sure. So uh, if you haven't listened to our last podcast on Soul Source, I would recommend you, you do that. And we generally think that's a great place for an 8A company to start is to uh, to win a Soul Source award. Um, but, uh, but the next step is to look for 8A competitive. So again, they are competitive, but they are limited um, in competition to just 8A uh, companies. And so um, so how do you go about finding those opportunities? So there are, you know, notices that are just like there are for any procurement that are issued for, um, you know, 8A competitive um, RFPs. You can find those on FedBizOps or any of the database services that, that do list um, RFPs. Um, generally, we don't recommend that that's where you start. Um, you really, by the time you things hit uh, a notice, there's probably a, a lot of other companies that have been doing some, some pre-planning to, to target those agencies. So really what we recommend is to, to, select, um, to select the agencies that you want to target, um, to meet with those small business offices. So on our last podcast, we did talk about um, each agency, they have small business um, offices that are really resources and advocates for small businesses. Um, you, if there are agencies that you are tar targeting, look to see um, what contracts they have already um, awarded as 8A contracts. Look at 8A contracts that will be expiring. Research other 8A com companies that may be graduating and will no longer be eligible for um, for 8A contracts. So, um, you know, before you start bidding, and, and this is an issue we see lots of companies and it's easy to get frustrated, is they take a little bit of a shotgun approach, which is, you know, they they um, they see a, a RFP and they think, gosh, I think we're capable to do that. We're eligible to compete. We can do this work. And so then they start submitting proposals um, and, and, you know, kind of throw enough stuff on the wall and, and see what sticks. Um, that can be a time consuming, expensive and um, not necessarily successful effort. So we really do um, suggest that you focus on particular agencies when you start looking um, looking at those. So that's you know generally when you're thinking about um, contracts, um, that's that's usually where we start. Um, maybe Eric, one of the next, there are lots of different types of contracts, um, single awards, multiple awards, and vehicles. So, Eric, maybe just talk a little bit about what those each are and, and maybe, you know, how to get started. So, yeah, happy to. So, once that opportunity has been identified and you're like, all right, we want to go after this potential contract, single awards is typically where you will get your most value because that there are dollars attached to that single award. It is a one for one. You are winning a contract or an award to perform X work. Multiple award contracts or contract vehicles are really more of like a, a hunting license or it is a, uh, a, a way to get your foot in the door with an agency uh, or procurement office. And then you have to go after task orders underneath that. Uh, a lot of times the vehicles or the multiple award schedules, it is a, uh, there's less competition, you step down. So you go from maybe a, a 
pool of hundreds of contractors and you all and 20 get awarded the IDIQ. Um, but then you're competing against those 20 for those task orders. A lot of times you have minimums where you will at least get, you know, X amount of dollars through that vehicle, but that is usually a very low dollar amount. Uh, so you're really, there really isn't any amount that is really obligated to it because you have to compete that again. So starting off, those single awards are probably where you really want to look to. The other thing and a good way to do um, to look at is look at teaming partners and potential teaming partners where they might have the past performance or have the relationship with the client and the agency uh, for you to get your foot in the door and to develop that way. So then you get to develop that past performance. Um, but if you do look at a teaming partner, you need to pay attention to subcontract limitations. And that is a hurdle that um, a, actually a lot of companies tend to think after the fact but it's really something to be thinking about in that preparation process and who's going to be doing the work um, and just to remind people federal subcontracting limitations require that small businesses receiving the contract so if you're the prime under the set aside program that you need to do equal amount of the work at a minimum at a minimum by percentage for the amount paid under the contract so you really that 50 percent mark you need to do 50 percent of the work based off that price. Uh, so it's, it's again, something to be monitoring. Um, it, it's something that, it, you know, the rules have changed a little bit in the last couple of years, but subcontract limitations is a, is a big uh, item to consider. Yep, yep. Hey, Eric, so one other um, point, just thinking about the single awards versus multiple awards. So, you know, as we've talked about on other podcasts, the, the SBA 8A program is a nine-year program, and there is a life, and there is different stages of the 8A program. And so, again, um, we advise and, and recommend that, you know, companies initially focus on single awards to get those, um, those, those wins where you're, you know, only one company is going to be a successful um, offer and then you're not you don't have to compete on those tasks as Eric mentioned but as a company matures and you are you know moving towards larger and larger opportunities your capabilities have developed um, you know that's really where you want to start looking at those uh, those multiple award contracts those IDIQ contract vehicles that um, you know serve um, multiple agencies can can buy off them um, uh, it creates a lot more opportunities for companies as they mature throughout the process. So um, those could be great uh, vehicles. And, and again, as you companies get larger, they, they really start focusing on having as many of those vehicles as they can, just more opportunities to, to get to different customers. So they definitely have a place and there's a lot of value in that, but, um, but we do recommend that you start with the single awards. And, you know, Susan, to, to piggyback off that, it's, it's interesting how there's been such a renewed focus on the 8A program too. Um, I know you and I have talked about that in 2020, the Congressional Research Service uh, did a, a study and noticed how the 8A program, the number of participants was actually shrinking and how that is now kind of re, um, relit a real focus on the program itself to push more work potentially through that program. Yep, that's right. The uh, the eight A program's been around a long time. I, I was a controller for an eight A company, you know, 20, 25 years ago. So it's been around a long time. Um, but there had, in fact, been um, 
uh, reduced numbers of 8A companies. And so last year with the Small Business Act provisions, they did, you know, incorporate some changes to make it easier for companies to, to get 8A certified. Um, and there's definitely a focus, and particularly in the current administration, to uh, to contract to more disadvantaged businesses. So we do look for there to be more and more, you know, 8A um, competitive and sole source opportunities. So maybe um, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about, um, so you, you've identified a proposal, an RFP that you're going to bid on, you're an 8A competitive. Um, and so let's just talk a little bit about what are some of the, um, what are some of the things to think about um, when you are putting that, uh, starting to put that proposal together. So um, Eric, uh, any sort of, tips and, and recommendations, and then I probably have a couple as well. Yeah, so I think once that opportunity has been identified, you know, ideally you decide that, hey, I'm going to go after this work before the final RFP has been issued. Um, so you have time then to renew the, to review the drafts, line up your teaming partners, so you're really not scrambling at the very end trying to do all that, plus get together subcontractor proposals and make sure all the, um, you know, you're putting together your narratives. It just, really doing all that before that final RFP is um, announced. You know, and, and the next piece of advice I have is make sure you carefully read that RFP. Um, and if you don't understand certain items, seek outside of help, Se seek outside help and understand the FAR requirements, the costing requirements, you know, any pricing tables that you're putting together and also the teaming situations and, you know, who's going to do what work. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of times that we talk with companies and, you know, the, one of the first questions is, you know, were there any hidden uh, landmines in the RFP or requirements from a compliance standpoint? And they go, oh, we didn't realize that. So I think really reading that RFP is probably one of my biggest piece of, pieces of advice. Well, and I think that's good advice, Eric. I know you and I do so often, um, you know, get involved trying to help companies once they, they have a problem and they didn't realize um, that they had some type of compliance requirement. And so it really is important, uh, that sounds so basic, to, to read the, the RFP. But RFPs do include, one of the things that is unique about government contracts is um, rather than put every word and requirement in a contract, they can just include a FAR, that's Federal Acquisition Clause, um, that they will stick in the contract. And by sticking that clause in the contract, the full, um, text of that requirement from the federal acquisition regulations is part of your contract and so um, a lot of times people just skim over that and don't really understand that um, and then they don't understand you know maybe what they've what they've signed up for um, I think another thing um, that it's important for companies to to really realize especially on your you know early contracts is um, the type of contract that you are bidding on definitely dictates the level of compliance requirements and also the risks um, based on the type of contract. Um, so for example, a fixed price contract with competition, um, that really one puts all of the risk on the contractor. So if you underbid it, um, then you're going to, to bear the brunt of that. Um, but it also should entitle you to the highest um, profit margin because again you're you're estimating everything you're taking on all of the risks 
you want to, you know, we're talking about 8A competitive contracts, so you will be bidding against other 8A companies. Um, so, you know, there is that uh, competition to be, you know, price price competitive, but you want to make sure that you don't win the contract and and then lose your company because you've, you know, you've significantly underbid it. Um, other types of contracts, um, time and materials contracts and cost type contracts, again, bear different types of risk and different types of compliance requirements. Um, you know, we have a lot of podcasts that talk about cost type contracts. Um, so in a cost type contract, the um, you are basically estimating what you expect the, the costs of the contract to be. And then ultimately when you are awarded the contract, um, subject to a to a ceiling and funding, um, the government will pay you your actual costs, your your actual direct costs and your indirect costs. Um, and we've got lots of podcasts that discuss a lot of details about that. Um, but that definitely puts a whole different level of scrutiny on your accounting system, on how you come up with all those. So, generally speaking, we don't recommend that the first contract that you bid on is a cost contract um, better to to kind of get your uh, get your feet wet um, with other types of contracts um, before you jump into a, a cost contract and susan one thing to add about the cost contract um, is really understanding if it's your first one is the uh, process with indirect rates and submitting provisional rates and then billing and wrapping up with incurred cost emissions and final rates and close out and understanding that that cycle because that's where a lot of uh, issues typically pop up um, and you know that that kind of goes perfectly into really understanding those RFP proposal instructions and um, answering to all the requirements in those instructions especially the cost volume which to, to your point about the different types of risk and uh, it really can vary uh, the, that cost volume and the buildup based off that contract type. Yep, that's true. And, you know, for, for some of our listeners, they, they may be, again, new to government contracting, um, uh, new to bidding on uh, RFPs. Um, the nice thing about government contracts is the government and all agencies, they do follow a standard contract and RFP format. So the RFP uh, which once you're awarded actually does become the the actual contract um, and so there is a standard format um, section b gives you the type of contract that's basically your pricing section l is your instructions and section m is the evaluation is tells you how the government is going to evaluate your your price or your your proposal you know we talked earlier about the importance of reading the entire rfp and we absolutely recommend that but when i first look at an rfp the first thing i do is i look at section b i look at section l the instructions um, both for the technical and the cost volume and then i look at section m which is how the government is going to evaluate that and so it's important to um to understand all of those when you um when you put your put your first proposal together so um, with that, Eric, um, any uh, sort of parting? We could obviously talk on and on about putting proposals together, but um, but we're hoping just to give everyone a little snippet of information about bidding on competitive 8A contracts. The only closing thought is if, if you don't succeed, make sure you ask for that debrief um, and take notes and use that and incorporate it the next time around. 
Um, there's a lot of times that that debrief is available and it's just not taken advantage of and you have the right to ask for that debrief. Yeah, actually, that's a great um, that's a great point is, uh, you know, yeah, you, you uh, most companies are going to have probably more rejections and they are going to have wins. But you're right is uh, whenever you don't uh, win a contract, it is so helpful to learn from requesting a debrief about what they how they evaluated your proposal. One, if they evaluated it according to Section M, um, but then what you need to do differently um, next time. So um, thanks. I think that's uh, th I think that's great advice. Uh, so with that, we will end. Um, we'd like to thank you all for listening today. If you haven't subscribed to our podcast series, please do. Um, we will have several other podcasts on uh, different aspects of the 8A program, as well as other topics of interest to government contractors. So thanks for joining us.